Hey kiddos, welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast about fictional father figures. I'm your host, Merritt, and can you believe that it has been one entire year of this podcast? We started doing this show on Father's Day 2016, and I believe this episode is going up on Father's Day 2017, fingers crossed. Can you believe that? That's unreal to me. This is the 50th episode of the show. It's one year. It's our second Father's Day show. And I just thought, you know, I could do an episode with some dad from some TV show or like some comic strip. Um, But I feel like it's a special episode and we should do something fun. Not that the rest of the show isn't fun, but something weird and exciting. And what I think I want to do on this very special anniversary episode of this show is to look back over one year of dad feelings, look back at the many dads. I was going to say 50, but I'm not sure what it actually works out to. I guess we'll find out because, you know, some episodes we had real dads on, some we talked about more than one. And um, I don't know where the exact count falls right now, but I want to look back over a year of dads and just and and reflect on what we've learned, how we've grown, how we got to where we are, um, and just really, you know, um, as we we move on to year two of dad feelings, just really, uh, really reflect and stop for a minute and think about things. So, um, I hope you all are excited to join me on this trip down dad memories lane and. Um, I do want to start right back at the beginning. And if you didn't start listening to this show from episode one, the first dad we ever talked about was Darth Vader. And um, that, I think, sort of established the format of the whole show. And, like, um, I got to say, as a dad, like, rating, um, I don't know, like, three out of ten, maybe. Is that generous? I don't know. We'll see how the scale develops as the episode goes on because it's going to be all over the place. Darth Vader, um, we talked about a lot of stuff and we sort of talked about how his character is just a metaphor for the different ways that you can see a dad over time. It's the life cycle of a dad, right? Because your dad goes from being this unknowable force to being this figure who is cutting your hands off and is like demanding that you listen to him. And then you finally, and then you try to redeem your dad and you do. And it turns out that he's just this sad old egg and he's, he's gone through this journey and you've gone through this journey with him. And we've all learned a lot about the life cycle of, of the dad as, um, as a living being. And, um, yeah, wow. It's, uh, Darth Vader though, like uh, on the whole, right. Not a great dad. Um, we started off kind of with that that kind of dad where there's a lot to say about them in the ways that they are terrible and in the, the sort of things that they tell us about the ways that dads can be awful. Um, but we also, you know, we don't just talk about bad dads on the show. And that was really important to me. And I feel like we had a pretty good run of like good dads. So like um, Piccolo from the Dragon Ball series is like, miles ahead of Darth Vader. Like I would give him like, um, well, actually I want to establish right now that like the scale uh, to which on which all dads are rated is like a Dill Pendergast is like a 10 out of 10 dad. He's like, he is like the, the sort of perfect. So he is like the perfect dad in the sense of like, 
good like value like he is a good dad like when i talk about like in terms of like goodness as like um he's like a pure dad but he isn't like the platonic form of a dad because i feel like the platonic form of a dad is bad um and so we have to distinguish between a good dad and a a typical dad if that if that distinction if you can hold that distinction um in your mind i feel like dill pendergast is going to be our 10 out of 10 perfect dad standard and that episode actually um my producer nick bravo came on and we basically just gushed about what a great dad he is in the film easy a um played by stanley tucci with this like unbelievable dynamic with his his wife and his kids um, and just constantly supportive, joking, but in a friendly way, backing off of his kids' lives when he knows that he isn't going to be able to solve their problems or that they need to solve them for themselves, but not in a way where he's like throwing them to the wolves and like the old, like, you know, become self-reliant. I'm going to throw you into the lake and you got to learn how to swim. He's not doing that. Um, he is cooking with his family and he's joking with them and he is perfect. He is the best dad. Um, so I feel like that is sort of our prime dad in terms of values and Piccolo is in many ways more on that side of the throwing you into the lake. He is much more of a dad who is like, he is raising this adopted child basically because his father died. And, um, it, it, but his father is Piccolo's ex nemesis. And so he's raising this son and he's like forcing him to like fend for himself and fight dinosaurs and like survive in this weird wilderness that most of the Dragon Ball world seems to be made up of. Um, but uh, he comes to love him and like sacrifice himself for him. And uh, it's like a real arc of redemption in a way, kind of like Darth Vader in terms of, uh, you know, sacrificing a dad sacrificing himself for a child, I think is a really powerful moment in media that a lot of a lot of media, you know, crystallizes around that moment. And especially if the dad has been not there or bad in the past, making this dramatic gesture and like what more dramatic gesture is there than like sacrificing your life to save your child. Um, so Piccolo is, you know, is Piccolo is up there. Like I would say a six, six out of 10. Um, we had like a good run of, um, of some, some, some good dads after that. Like we were talking about, um, we had some superhero dads. Like we talked about, uh, Batman and Magneto um, and Batman, great dad. And also like RIP Adam West. Um, I talked a lot about Adam West with, um, with Jonathan Holmes when he was on the show and God, man, you know, it's like that whole show is like you either wanted to be Batman or wanted to be Robin. And in that case, Batman is sort of your dad and sort of your weird guardian figure. And there's obviously a lot of uh, complex sexual dynamics there too. There's like psychosexual familial dynamics that are confusing and sometimes complicated. Um, but Batman is basically a good dad. And especially in that show, he's giving Robin a lot of good advice. There was like a super cut that I saw the other day of all of the times that Batman gives Robin advice. And it's like, um, my favorite one was like, they park the Batmobile and Batman's like, oh, I better put some change in the meter. And Robin is like, oh, no, cop's going to give you a ticket, Batman. And he's like, that's not the point, Robin. These, This fund goes to maintaining our roads and infrastructure, and everyone has to do their part. And it's like, oh, cool, Batman is, like, doing civic duty to some extent. Um, that's cool. Like, that's a good lesson. 
um, in like the maintenance of the commons and the roads and things. Um, so like great, pretty great dad. And also like if you're, if Batman is your dad, you get to drive around to the Batmobile. Um, but you know that he's got some, some issues because his parents were killed. So, uh, you know, maybe eight out of 10 for Batman. Um, the other superhero dad we talked about around that same time was Magneto. And uh, Magneto, uh, LB, LB uh, Trash, Trashy came on and uh, we talked about Magneto being sort of the father of mutants. And he, in the X-Men universe, he portrays himself as like, styles himself as like the father of mutants. And he's like really about, um, you know, overthrowing humanity. And X-Men just, they just sort of went all over the road with the metaphors. Mutants, uh, mutant powers or being a mutant is just a metaphor for whatever is uh, the social issue uh, du jour on the minds of a Marvel writer. So it starts off as being about race and then it's about queerness and who knows, like it's about anything, um, which also means it's about nothing, which also means that Magneto is kind of this muddled dad figure. Um, and he's also a literal father too, right? To Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Um, and not a great guy. Uh, maybe like a five, I think, for Magneto. Um you know, he's he's sort of like middle of the road. Um, he's a, a ways away from Dill Pendergast. So the scale, I'm not sure the weighting of different qualities on it, but uh, he is not, he's no, he's no Dill Pendergast, that's for sure. Um, and I feel like we talked about some, some sitcom dads in those early days too. Um, we talked about like a, a Frank Costanza um Dave Shimka of Stop Podcasting Yourself came on and we talked about Frank Costanza and just him being an avatar of just like the most outlandish dad behavior. And in a sense, I feel like Frank Costanza is one of the platonic forms of, of being a dad because he is just like this maniac, just like shouting all the time, going on these like bizarre adventures, uh, dragging his children and wife into like these, his, his antics. Um, not a good dad, but I think he is like a very emblematic dad, a very specific kind of dad. And Dave talked about this kind of on the show. He is like the dad of, um, I think for a lot of people, like when you were a kid and you go over to someone else's house and they have like a weird dad, he's the dad. Frank Costanza is the weird friend's dad. Um, and then, uh, when Eve Peiser came on and we talked about Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock, that's like a very different, uh, very different kind of sitcom dad because 30 Rock isn't a family sitcom. And I guess Seinfeld isn't really either. Um, but Jack's role is, I would say, much more complex. Um, and I've actually been rewatching 30 Rock right now. I sort of rewatch it maybe once a year. It's one of those shows along with like Peep Show that I just can watch whenever. Um, and it, I'm still just like, the relationship between Jack and Liz is still so good. It's like so amazing and it sucks that the bar is so low but to have like a platonic relationship between like an older male mentor figure and like a younger woman where like the guy just genuinely wants her to do well and like get what she wants and to have a good life um is like really rare like there's always some kind of sexual undertones to it um it's always weird and like whenever that stuff does come up in the show it's just as a joke because like the idea that they would hook up is just like so just like out there for both of them um 
that like there are a lot of problems with 30 Rock and like it's not a great show in a lot of ways. But like to me, that is one of the reasons why I can watch it like all the time. And I would say Jack like is like as like a dad mentor, like an eight out of 10, like a solid eight. He's like the dream, right? Of like this, this connected older powerful man who doesn't want to fuck you but is just like giving you good advice and like helping you be an adult um which like you know that's great that's pretty great um getting back to like literal fathers um we've got i okay so there actually is a rival here <laughs> there's a rival to dill pendergast and i think i found another dad that may be a 10 out of 10 um that may be full pendergast and that is gomez adams uh, Naylan Blake came on, on episode 11 and we talked about Gomez Adams. And, um, for me, like I had always known Gomez as, um, like Raul Julia from the films. And, uh, I actually, to prepare for that episode, watched some of the Adams family, uh, TV show, like the, the live action one from the, the sixties and, that Gomez is a really great dad too. And like the whole idea of the Adams family, the whole shtick is like, they're weirdos, but like they think they're normal. Um, and they're super accepting. And even like to that, cause to them, like normal people are weird a lot of the time. Um, but like, they're still really accepting of like what they think of as like really deviant people. Um, and Gomez and Morticia are just like great parents. Like they're super accepting of their children. Um, they like have frank conversations with them. They're like, uh, Gomez is just like this funny, like cute, smart, artistic, passionate dad. And like, I think he is, he's a, he's a Pendergast. He's up there. He's in the Pendergast pantheon, you know, he's just like, he is a champ. Um, and, uh, who else? Oh, I missed a couple from the, those early days. Um, there were some weird ones too, like, right? Like I, um, I would never have thought to talk about Pee Wee Herman on this show, but Justin McElroy came on and we talked about the fact that Pee Wee Herman is like, on the one hand, he's like this weird child. Um, but on the other, he is like the most responsible person in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like he is kind of a dad. He's the one who has to like fix things when they go wrong. He is the one who the world like sort of, uh, orbits around, which is weird. He's like pretty good. Uh, he's like a pretty good dad. Um, I don't know that he can even be rated on this scale. He just exists outside of it. He demands that we explode the dad, the linear dad rating system into a universe, um, or a galaxy of, of points. Um, Mufasa obviously was an early episode as well. Um, and you know, good, good dad who is very much about, um, I think one thing we talked about in that episode was like, uh, it's, it's kind of the Lion King is weird, right? Because it's like, um, it's Hamlet. Uh, but the dad is like more developed as a character. Um, because he doesn't like start out dead. Uh, and, he, his whole thing is like, oh, we're lions. Like we like rule the, like it's natural that we like rule, but like we have to be like benevolent stewards. Um, and so you have to like be responsible because like all these things are under your domain and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, to me, the interesting part of dad feeling is in terms of, uh, 
the Lion King is Scar. Um, and Scar, I mean, that episode could have been called Mufasa slash Scar, but like Scar is like the gay uncle usurper, right? Who's like disrupting the natural order and like coming in and like upending everything. And Scar is obviously really gay coded. Like that's not news to anyone, I don't think. Um, and when he takes over, the land literally becomes blighted because homosexuality can't foster growth and futurity according to this kind of vision of, um, of like heterosexual family dynamics. Uh, so, you know, Mufasa, like, you know, seven out of 10, um, soldier 76. I mean, okay. Overwatch just, it's been a year. It's been a year and I don't play Overwatch anymore, but. I sometimes follow the updates for it and like they still don't have a skin for soldier 76. I'm actually going to look at, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the soldier 76 overwatch wiki and, um, you know, every character in this game, I guess for people who don't know, it's this team based shooter game. Um, it's this like, there's, it's kind of like, funny and stylish and every character has all these alternate costumes so normally soldier 76 just looks like a cyborg man um and uh everyone has these other skins right um and most of soldier 76s are just like different soldier mans like he just looks like a different soldier which is like Okay. So yeah, his skins are like, oh, he's like a commando. Like he has camo paint on the, and like he did have, to be fair, he did have, um, one where he was like a, a daredevil figure with like a half cape and a, and a mustache, which was pretty good. But like my whole thing in that episode was like, I think it was around the time that they were doing like an Olympics, uh, event where like all the characters had different, uh, sports related, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, getups. And he didn't get a golf, uh, golf clothes. He didn't get like, just like a golf shirt and, um, and some nice khakis. And I still think they have yet to do that. And it's like, just like fucking just, just pull, pull, Get, pull pull your fingers out of your asses, um, Blizzard. Just, like, let dad golf, okay? Just let dad golf. Um, eight out of ten. Um, let dad golf. Please, I'm dying. Um, my family is dying. Please. Uh, Bowser. Great dad, right? Pretty cool dad. Um, he, he's, I don't know what else to say about him besides he's like pretty cool um mario would be a bad dad don't let mario be a father um don't let mario fuck um bowser had a child with shigeru miyamoto and bowser jr is their child and um bowser is a nine out of ten um Alan Grant, it's interesting to me that the Alan Grant episode was right after Bowser because Alan Grant loves dinosaurs and Bowser, I guess he's not a dinosaur, he's a, what is Bowser? Wait, what is, wait, what is Bowser though? I guess he's like a, he's like a turtle, right? I don't know. Um, 
Alan Grant loves dinosaurs. And like that movie, Jurassic Park, is sort of the journey of the reluctant dad. Um, he starts off hating kids and terrifying them with uh, velociraptor toes and talking about how they're going to cut open their bellies. And um, and his partner is like chastising him for being a bad monster. And then he basically has to take care of these kids throughout the course of the movie and um, basically come to terms with being a, a responsible adult dad um, who isn't just like embroiled in his work, but like you know, can take care of kids and can protect kids from dinosaurs, which is like an important skill that dads need to have. Um, so eight out of 10, uh, pretty good. Um, who else was in that early batch? I guess we did Stephen Walker, Jaya Saxena came on and we talked about Stephen Walker, who is from the movie Fear. And um, I guess that to me is the trope of, uh, the, of, I told you so. That is the, if only you had listened to dad, because that is what that movie is about, right? That is a movie where Mark Wahlberg is a weird stalker who becomes obsessed with this girl. Um, and uh, her father is just like, I don't like this kid. And everyone's like, no, he's so great. And this kid is like psychologically, like, it's just like uh, gaslighting him, I guess, of just being like in private, just being like, I'm going to fuck your daughter, dude. Um, I'm going to hide your phone in the fridge. Um, and uh, and then he's really nice to everyone else. And uh, then he throws Mark Wahlberg out a window. So um, if you had only... And then it just ends. That's the end of the movie. If you Basically, it's this movie is two hours of um, you should have listened to Dad, which is like a, a genre that I don't know exists as much anymore, but is like a very interesting type of narrative that is just... For dads and vindicates dads in watching it. I feel like we also talked about Vegeta, who is another Dragon Ball dad, like Piccolo, and um, he is a better dad than Goku. Goku's a bad dad. Goku sucks. Vegeta is a six out of ten um, because he goes to space to fight aliens instead of hanging out with his kids, and he just wants to fight and kiss Goku. And um, should pay more attention to his kids. So six out of ten. Uh, oh, and that was that was like the early the early run of dad feelings. Um, God, there's so many more, huh? We did so many episodes. There's so many dads. Um, let's talk vampires. Let's talk vampire dads, okay? Because we we talked about Dracula Untold when Mallory Orberg came on. We talked about Angel when Chelsea Summers came on. Um, and uh, Angel's whole arc with his son was really weird. And like, I kind of hated it. Um, also, Dracula Untold, I just found out, like, did you hear about how the mummy is supposed to be part of like the rebooting the Universal Monsters thing, like the mummy and Wolfman and Dracula? And Dracula Untold was supposed to be the first movie in that mythos. But then they're like, no, forget about that. It didn't happen because that movie ends in the modern day. And so they're setting up some kind of weird universe that no one asked for. Um, it, yeah. I mean, these are both tragic dads. These are both dads who sacrifice so much, right? Then they're vampires too, which is adds to that, um, that because that, the vampire is often a tragic figure. And if they're a dad, doubly so, because in the case of Dracula Untold, this is a, a character who sacrifices his humanity to protect his family. 
um, to protect his his son and his uh, his wife. And obviously, it goes wrong for no real reason. Um, in the case of Angel, it's just this this sort of tragic story of there being this prophecy that Angel is going to kill his son, um, and it being really complicated and horrible. And they're both fine, I guess. Um, Dracula told no, not great at dad because, um, well, just because that movie didn't make a lot of sense. So they're both, you know, in the five to six region, I would say. Uh, maybe Angel is like a seven. Um, but to talk about the archetype of the older male figure who just sort of wants you to do well and is basically like a substitute dad to a character, um, because I talked about that with Jack Donaghy, but then there's there's more too, right? That is like one of my favorite tropes that I think I, I come back to a lot. Um, and so talking about Ron Swanson, which was a bonus episode with Red Durkin, um, and then George Christopher, who is Ted Danson's character on Jonathan Ames' TV series, Bored to Death. These are both sort of these older, powerful figures who in their own ways are supporting younger um, younger friends or like sort of child figures who they really come to see as like almost their children um, while at the same time being, being peers in a way. And um, it's such a compelling fantasy, isn't it? Like of having someone swoop in and, and being like, I'm going to show you how to do this stuff and like we can, we'll work together on this. And, um, and I am in a secure position where I, I can afford to, to, do these things and buy lunch sometimes and stuff like that. Like, man, like I, I, I feel like uh, capitalism makes our fantasies pretty like low, low stakes, huh? Just having someone buy you lunch would be pretty great. I feel like so. I feel like Ron Swanson is like a nine, and uh, George Christopher is like um, is like an eight or a nine. Uh, Joe Biden is a one. Uh, fictional Joe Biden is a six. Real Joe Biden is a one. Um, and that was an interesting episode when I had Joe McArae on and we talked about how this this image of like the dad, like the the, the sort of dad popular image meme kind of um, kind of construct can come to overtake the existence of an actual person who is in the public eye and sort of make them seem something that they aren't. And th- that dad image does a few things, right? And it sort of, first of all, it, makes them seem sort of harmless in a way, like charmingly, kind of a charming buffoon uh, who's spilling things in a commercial and taking care of his kids. But like, oh, he's a dad. He can't. It's too much. Um, In a way that I feel like the sort of corresponding figure of the mom doesn't really happen for, um, for female public figures for the most part. I feel like it does happen for grandmas, for, you know, um, there's some maybe actors and other figures who who get that sort of um that attached to them but i feel like that sort of jokey like oh he's just like a goofy dad who owns classic cars and like is just like a weirdo um is like a really unique kind of kind of thing uh that attaches itself to people like joe biden um there are a lot of dads in games as it turns out <laughs> and uh uh the the episode when uh, we had Simone de Rochefort on to talk about all these gaming dads, I feel like all of those, all, I'm looking at all of them in the picture and I hate all of them. Uh, I hate to look at any of these guys. They all look, they're all like, bo- bo- like brunette man with 
some facial hair. I hate them all. Just take them away. Except Liam Neeson from Fallout 3. He can stay. But the rest of them just like get out of here. Three out of ten. Two out of ten. Um, no good, right? They're not great. Um, how about how about uh, dads who are scientists or who created their children in some way, in some kind of literal sense? I can think of at least a few, right? So Professor Utonium, uh, when Eric Thurm uh, guested on the first uh, for the first time on the show, uh, and then also uh, Dr. Eggman from the Sonic series. Uh, with the great Clement and Terrence Wiggins came on to talk about Dr. Light. And these are all sort of like that sort of figure of the dad in the garage tinkering around, right? And just sort of like cooking something up. And I feel like if you wanted to arrange these on a scale, Professor Utonian would be at the most positive end. Um, Dr. Eggman would probably be at the the uh, most negative end and Dr. Light would be somewhere in between because he doesn't really do a whole lot. He made Mega Man I mean, great, good work. Um, but he's not really involved uh, as much. He's not really as much of an interesting character as, say, your Professor Utonium, who is, like, really involved in the lives of the Powerpuff Girls, is, like, trying to just actually raise three daughters. Um, and, uh, and Dr. Eggman, who, in his various incarnations, has these, like, assistant characters or who has these robots that he kind of dotes on um, and is just more of a typical mad scientist. Um, also, like, another thing that's that I've realized over the... Like, to get back to the Joe Biden thing, um, I think there are other ways that this sort of benevolent, fatherly aura can attach itself to real people uh, with interesting results. So I think about, like, a Bob Ross or a John Cena or... Um, like a Mr. Rogers, um, you know, these are all, or like a Reggie fils even. Uh, these are all people, like actual people who have cultivated or had attached to them this, this image of dadliness. Um, and that can mean just sort of being, it can, it can be as vague as being just an, an older benevolent kind of figure. Um, and we can sort of uh, come to see that as, or understand that through the lens of dadliness, or it can be uh, through sort of a jokey kind of thing, like Reggie fils um, who is the, uh, he's a Nintendo man. He's the Nintendo man. He is, uh, I think he's the CEO, president, something, I forget. But Nick Robinson was on on that episode, and we sort of talked about how Reggie went through this transformation of coming in to Nintendo as this guy who was like taking names and kicking ass and everyone was like, whoa, Nintendo's going to kick my ass. Like that's never happened before. Um, but he sort of morphed as time went on to become this kind of benevolent, quiet figure who speaks with his hands and tells you how much you're going to love the new Animal Crossing. And to me, and maybe, I don't know, to some extent this is me projecting, but I feel like in a world, in a world where, uh, Economic insecurity is everywhere and no one has any stability and uh, familial relationships are like changing. And so like, and on the one hand, that's great. On the other hand, like these old structures are, are eroding without some kind of concurrent way to replace them. Um, I feel like that that kind of cultural, economic, historical shift has 
led to this boom in um, demand for these kinds of figures. So like, there is a reason that Reggie is a dad now. There is a reason that Bob Ross was streaming on Twitch uh, a few months ago. There's a reason that uh, these kinds of figures emerge. And and I think there's a reason why that's happening now, right? Um, and, I, you know, same with like resurgence of, uh, of quotes from people like Mr. Rogers when something terrible happens. Like we, we want these older reassuring men to tell us uh, that things are going to be okay or to tell us that we're valid or to tell us that we have you know, skills or, or abilities, or just even the fact that, uh, that we are who we are is valuable. Like that is, um, always, I think important to hear, but like, I feel like is especially important for like children to hear, but then in this period of like, uh, social, cultural and economic instability, it is like something that more and more adults or, or young adults want to hear. Maybe that I'm just projecting. Maybe none of that's true. Who knows? Um, that's something to think about, though, right? Um, so yeah, those are sort of our, our more real, more real life dads. And um, we did we sort of stretch the definition of fictional father figures, I guess, in including people like that. But I do feel like their personas are fictional um, in that we have projected some of these things onto them. Um, and I guess we did talk about some like historical real dads too. Like we, I talked about Thomas Cromwell and I only did that because um, I was mostly interested in Hilary Mantel's depiction of him in the Cromwell books where I feel like, like she depicts him as this really loving father and almost kind of like a feminist figure who's like teaching his daughters to read um, and it being like really supportive and great. And like, I wondered how much of that was because that that project was about rehabilitating Cromwell in the face of sort of the last, you know, 50 or 60 years of um, of seeing Thomas More, his ideological rival, as this like sort of pure martyr and Cromwell as just this like crony of um, of the king. And those books, I mean, they're novels, but they're she does historical research and like they're about rehabilitating Thomas Cromwell. And so like, I wondered in that episode, like how much of that dad stuff is like period appropriate or like based on biographical detail and how much of it is like just, you know, massaging some of that stuff a little to, to make him seem a little more uh, contemporary, a little more uh, sophisticated, a little more modern, a little more of a, um, of a dad that we can relate to. Um, I sort of fell off that ranking thing, huh? Um, let's just go through and speed run some of these guys. Um, let's see. Fraser Crane, four out of ten. Hank Hill, seven out of ten. Jake the Dog, uh, I think that's a nine. Um, uh, Nathan Wallace from Repo the Genetic Opera. I don't even, don't even make me think about that movie again, please. Um, Joseph Joestar. Oh man, like an eight, I think. Um, pretty good. Um, King Triton, mm, like a two, like a two, just because like that's a dad who really just does not listen to his his daughter. Could have averted the whole tragic setup of that movie if he had. Um, just like I didn't realize how much of a shitty dad he was until I rewatched that movie uh, to to do that episode. That happens to me a lot. Like you see. 
like I don't know. I feel like I, I've rewatched a lot of films, and like this is maybe trite. Uh, on trite. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, but like I feel like a lot of of narratives of of films, like children's films, like at least when I was growing up, were about like like a father instigating some kind of conflict by not listening to his children. And like, that seemed like it, it didn't seem as unjust, I guess, as it does now looking back, like it seemed a lot more like natural and like, Oh yeah. Like, of course that's just like a sort of an, I father dads are natural forces that just like deny things and stuff. Um, but I guess that since I have gone back and started watching some of those things again for the show, it's been like, Oh yeah, they're kind of, that's damn, that's a bad dad. Uh, Giovanni from Pokemon. Um, Brittany, that was Brittany Jane on there to to talk about Giovanni, this weird mob boss guy. Uh, like a five, maybe. Stan Sidwell, Charlotte Shane came on for to talk about uh, the only good dad in Arrested Development. So, you know, he's probably like a seven or eight, but like compared to the other characters in that show, he is definitely a 10. Um, and I guess we only have the two perfect 10s so far. I don't think I have had, um, maybe Bob Ross is a 10. I think Bob Ross is a perfect 10. Um, John Cena, like a seven, I guess. Um, yeah, like a seven. He's like a seven dad. He's like a seven. Um, oh, I missed Rick Sanchez when we were talking about like weird professor dads, but he is that. But he is also this like, he is sort of the like embodiment of like the weird magical granddad um, who, that's like what, Doctor Who started off as, right? It's like this weird magical old man. And I guess they've gotten back to that now for a while. It was like a magical boy man. And now it's back to being an old guy. But um, but Rick is just like a fucking asshole. Um, but like, he is like the manic adventure dad of like, oh, we're going to go on cool adventures. And he's also a fucking dick who is going to like get us into a lot of trouble. And um, not to like dig too deep on on that but um but yeah it's like this sort of definitely an archetype of like this sort of uh manic you know he's like a manic the manic pixie dream girl of dads i think um with all of the the concomitant changes that that would necessitate uh rupert giles 10 out of 10 mm, is that too generous nine maybe i think nine i don't think he's perfect he's trying his best but he is in a very difficult situation um, certainly he faces challenges. I think that, uh, a, you know, a, um, a Stanley Tucci dad from easy eight does not face. Um, so I think he's a, he's a nine. He's a rock solid rock hard nine. Um, Harry Mason, uh, from the silent hill games, uh, that was Jay Bearhat, And, um, it's just, I mean, he as a dad is bad. So like, he's like a five, but like as media about fatherhood and, and families, very interesting and rich. Um, Hal, Wilkers Hal Wilkerson, uh, when Madeline Drake came on, I had forgotten what a good dad Hal is. Like he's a pretty good dad um, in ways he is not great. Maybe he's like an eight. Um, he... That show actually still makes me really uncomfortable because it's like just really shrill. Like there's so much Lois is just shouting so much, the mom, but like um but Hal is like sort of this cool, calm dad who like there are a few episodes where he does like really um really great stuff uh to sort of teach his kids 
something valuable or like impart skills or, um, but he's also really fearful and incompetent. So, um, like a, like a seven or an eight, um, Captain Hook. Oh man. When Daniel Shannon, uh, my Ignota magazine co-founder came on to talk about Dustin Hoffman as Hook in Hook, the film Hook, uh, God, what a, well, how good, right? Like that's, he's just like this aging drag queen who is like, God, it's so good. I mean, it's a bad movie. I tried, when I tried to watch it again, I physically could not complete watching it. I don't know how I watched it so much as a kid because Hook doesn't even show up for like the first 40 minutes. Um, but, but great. He's a pirate. I mean, what more could you want? Um, Dracula again, right? Because there's more than one Dracula. I don't know if you guys know about this. Did you know that there's like more than one Dracula? Because there was the Dracula Begins, Dracula's Revenge, whatever that movie was that Mallory was on. And then we talked about, uh, I talked with Ava Problems about Dracula and some other dads from Castlevania and her essay... Uh, your asshole dad's castle is back again. Remains sort of like the um, the seminal work on this. So I would really recommend that you read that if you haven't already. Uh, Dra- Dracula dad is like a four. He's pretty shitty. He's kind of an asshole. Um, wow, so many dads. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. Mr. Dress Up and Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers is a ten too. We found another ten. That's three tens. <gasps> I'm so happy. Mr. Dress Up is like maybe. I don't know. Is he, he might be a 10 as well. Um, ego guardians of the galaxy. Okay. Well, here's the thing. He is like a two or a one, but definitely when we talk about platonic forms of dads, he wants, he thinks he is the most interesting thing in the world and he wants everything to be him, which is like, to me, that's dad all over. It's just mm, all over dad. So he is a, a sort of prototypical form of dads. And I should really make a chart for this stuff, um, sort of a visual aid. But in terms of the quality of his, his fathering, it's it's a one, I think. Uh, same with Vince McMahon as a dad, just like a one, a two maybe. Um, just not good. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Bob from Reboot, like a seven, I think, eight. He's fine. He's pretty good. Um, Uncle Ben, Spider-Man. I'm just saying things now. I'm just saying dads. Um, but God, I feel like most, I actually, I was having this conversation with my friend Jamie Attenberg last night. And um, because as I'm, I'm giving all these ratings, I'm realizing that a lot of them cluster around the, um, you know, like the middle of the range, like a five to six, seven kind of kind of range. There's very few tens. There's also very few ones. And I was talking to to Jamie and um, we were saying like, I feel like most dads are just not great. Uh, they're not terrible. They're not like monsters. And they're also not amazing. And um, that is complicated because it means that it's very difficult for you to feel a way about them. Um, in a way, having a terrible dad means that you can 
hate them or resent them or have have these cathartic feelings. And having a great dad obviously is great. But dads who are sort of in between, I mean, as I guess to be fair, most people are um are complicated in that you don't feel licensed to really have any you have to hold complexity and that's a hard thing to do for anyone and um and I feel like especially for dads and maybe that is what this show has been about is trying to to hold that complexity and to sort of think about the complex kinds of of um of arguments that media make about fathers and about father figures and um and trying to just sort of uh Think, think a little uh, more carefully about all that stuff. Um, I missed a few, but um, I don't think any of them were like, you know, they, they all cluster. Like I said, they all cluster in the average territory. And I think that that's about it. I think that that, that is it for this week. Um, we've rated so many dads. We've talked about so many dads. I've, that word is starting to lose meaning to me. But... Um, it's been a year of this show, and I'm so glad that that you've joined us uh, for this for this many episodes. And I hope you will continue to join us. And as always, if there are uh, topics, dad topics you would like to see discussed, or if there are guests that you would like to have on, because um, several of the those episodes that I didn't mention, uh, and I'm not going to rate real dads, but there are episodes with real dads. Um, so so guests like Charlie Demers and Philip Kalar and um, and we want to do more of those. So if you know a dad, if you are a dad, um, definitely get in touch. Um, we would especially love to talk to gay dads, to dads of older parents or of older children, uh, to like black, indigenous and people of color. Um, and yeah, um, definitely get in touch or forward the names of people you would like us to uh, to talk to on the show. So that is year one of Dad Feelings. Thank you so much for joining us. I, uh, I hope you will continue to join us. And uh, please tell your friends about the show. We really appreciate it. Um, and I will see you next week. Bye, kiddos. Dad Feelings is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Say Me at dadfeelings.com support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz off their album Foiled Gear. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuis for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at dadfeelings and at staymeanco. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.